the whole idea was about how all waves are created by the wind, and wind is created by imbalances in the atmosphere, largely due to the sun, and how the WSL needs to charge its butthole because it made a machine to make waves, and really it was the sun all up. Oh, it sounds like some whiny lesbians just shut up and go surfing. A couple good comments though of just like, wow, these comments are the perfect indicator of why this piece needs to be happening. Hello and welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson and this week we have Brandon Buckley on the show. Buck is Stab's fairly newly appointed editor-in-chief and he recently took a trip to Lamore to sun his butthole but he also made some observations about the recent world tour event was there and then we have a chat to dylan graves and kyla langan dylan you'll know for well, you probably know him forever if you have been watching surf content forever he was that quicksilver grom when he was a youngster that feels like he's been around forever but i think it was just because he started so young because he's still young You'll know his series, Weird Waves, and he's just started a new series called Breaking Waves. And in the first episode, he went and visited San Francisco-based Queer Surf. And Queer Surf is an organization dedicated to creating a safe space for marginalized people. So before we get into these conversations, let let me ask you this. Have you ever marginalized someone in the surf, knowingly or unknowingly? And then more importantly, let me ask you this. Have you seen the latest episode of Electric Acid starring Mason and Coco Ho? Because Ep3 is out. I have I have picked up a really odd habit while riding these boards. I love spraying people now. Especially Mason. And you are blowing it if you have not seen this series. So get on Stab Premium, treat yourself to a code. This series is it's so entertaining. Just, I mean, simply because it's Mason and Coco, but Ashton, Sam Moody, and everyone else in the States, Shinya Dalby as well, have done such an incredible job at making this uh, this series so goddamn watchable. At the very least, make friends with someone who has a Stab Premium account because um, that is someone that you can use. And I, what else? Oh, let me ask you another question. Have you been keeping up with all the WSL news of the past week? Stace Galbraith, who is coming at us live from a QS event where he's been just breathing all over microphones for days. How are you feeling, Stace? Yeah, I reckon I could do a, a bit more breathing on microphones, Danny. That's why I thought I'd jump on the, the blower with you, mate. Uh, the finals day up here on the Tweed Coast was great, and we all felt like we could do it all again. It was so entertaining. Even though the waves were pretty marginal, the, 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 the surfing was shit hot. Nice. I heard Sierra Kerr was the one making a lot of, a lot of noise, despite not even really doing the sort of damage that she can by punting and and uh, the more radical side of her surfing. She but she was still getting it done. There was a lot of hype around Sierra. Definitely, she got a wild card and used it amazingly. She finished with a quarterfinal, which it's sort of. I feel like sometimes we can expect so much from someone and, and then when they don't achieve it, we, you know, I'm guilty of it. You kind of go, oh. But then when you think about, you know, Sierra's age and, and all things considered, uh, you know, for her to go that far in the draw is a, is a great result for her. I know she'll take a lot of confidence out of that. And yeah, you're right. She didn't really get the chance to show um, us what she puts up on her Instagram every day, but certainly a couple of really good performances and for a for a kid, you know, she's still so young. She looked like she was a part of the crew, even though she is definitely only just sort of finding her feet on the QE. It was her first one. Nice. And so tell me some news. What have we got? Well, getting over to the World Tour, the Wave Pool event obviously wrapped up this week. And after what was, I think, by all accounts, a pretty slow start, I thought the finals day was amazing. And I had a great time watching it. It was Joanne DeFay defeating Carissa Moore in the women's final. And Philippe Toledo finally got the victory he was chasing out there. He beat the best surfer in the pool up until that point, Gabrielle. So it was Philippe first, Gabby second. Yeah, so Medina's never, ever lost in a pool event that he surfed in. And on paper, Felipe was, or Felipe is, I think it's meant to be pronounced. He's the guy that you'd probably put money on to finally take down Medina, right? 
I think so. If anyone was going to do it, it was going to be it was going to be him. Uh, Griffin Colapinto and Kanoa Igarashi certainly stepped up their act as well, and I think they were always destined for a third. And they did that. <laughs> but if anyone was going to break through and, and get Gabby, it was definitely Phil. And what's going on with jo- Joanne DeFay? Because I just heard so many people talking about her surfing and, and just singing her praises. Like, what is it about her approach that, that gave her that result? I think what Joanne does so often is she surfs to her ability. I think um, a lot of... You know, we see a lot of it in professional sport where people kind of crumble. And Joanne just has this crazy mental game where, especially against Carissa, she seems to be able to compete to her top level against her. Or, contrary to that, Carissa has to go out of body to beat her. When we saw Carissa bust out that huge air in uh, in Newcastle, but then once they got over to Rottnest Island, it was Joanne who beat Carissa there. And then now in the pool, Joanne got her again. So going into trestles, Joanne is kind of looking like one of the odds-on favourites. Wow. That's a huge call. And there was also some heartwarming moments at the pool. We saw D'Souza and Kelly swapping rashies. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, a, that was a classic moment given their, given their history. And, uh, you know, obviously Kelly dropping the pool on Adriano once he won the world title. So, yeah, it was cool to see them shake it. Shake hands and um, and uh, swap jerseys, which was, um, I guess, one part of the story with Adriano. Unfortunately, he won't get a home country world tour event to uh, retire on. Uh, obviously, we, it's well documented that it will be Adriano's last year on tour. And I'm sure he would have loved to compete on home soil one more time, but it won't be the case this year with the Brazilian CT obviously being cancelled uh, as a tribute to our mate ADS, the whole Brazilian storm and Portuguese nations, which included Frederico Marias, they all wore Adriano's jersey in the pool with his name on the back to uh, you know pay their respects, which I thought was a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice touch from all the younger. That crew. is nice, and it's good. It's really, I'm glad he forgave Kevi, Kelly for totally taking the wind out of the sails of uh, his world title thing. But in saying that, I feel like Kelly could kill my mum, and I'd probably forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it weird how you have people like that in your life? They just they just completely fuck you over time after time, but you just love them no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, what else have we got? Well, on that note, I mentioned last week in the news that Kelly is the first reserve for the Olympics. Uh, it's looking like that won't be necessary. John John Florence and Kolohe and Dino have both posted on the internet this week that they are back in the salt water. To what level yet? It remains to be seen. Uh, John John still looking very tender. Kolohe looking a little looser, but it's certainly looking like they are gearing up for a run at the Olympics, which is coming up very shortly. Yeah, it's. I never really quite enjoy watching someone when they're wearing a knee brace. I, to me, it just I can't think of anything other than the pain and the potential re-injury that they they might be suffering. So I, I just I hope they can get out there and, and surf properly rather than looking like some sort of bionic, weird uh, robot human. Oh, totally. The whole re-injury thing it just goes through my mind uh, like every millisecond they're on the wave. And I think from a judging perspective too, it must go through the judge's head, which ultimately to me represents safe surfing because they're not trying to get buckled every time they do a turn. So it's going to be interesting to see sort of what level both of those both of those two guys are at. I'd say at a complete punt, Kolohe looks a little more rehabilitated than John, but who knows? John is a super freak. Maybe he's just holding his cards close to his chest. Yeah, and they're not going to not surf in the Olympics just because of the exposure and, and, and what it means on a business level. I've been super critical and making fun of the Olympics QS that's coming up and not really particularly that interested in, in what it means for... Uh, as a surfing competition, but on that on that recent story that Sam McIntosh wrote on the side, he sat down with BMX rider that won the 2016 Olympic gold, a guy named Connor Fields, and 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 the story from Connor in the, sorry the quote in that story from Connor was being a world champion doesn't carry as much weight in a business meeting as being an Olympic gold medalist. So I totally get the the business the business side of being in the Olympics and what it means to these surfers. Yeah, and and I read that quote and actually thought of you know, a point you brought up, which I completely agree with. 
Uh, look, I don't know bugger all about BMX, but what I do know about surfing is that we have a legitimate world tour mm. that holds so much water. But I think Connor's point is spot on. When you step into a room full of people that have no idea about either, you just say, blah, 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 Olympic gold, they're going to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those corporate dollar eaters just, um, just come come running I experienced on it recently, actually. <laughs> Did you? I was having a, having a crack at a bit of a job that had had some uh, links to the Olympics and uh, they appreciated my work and then I was sort of told who I might be up against to get a particular role that I was going for and uh, I had to just say, well, yeah, I've done, I've, I've done absolutely nothing compared to those people, even though I might know more about what we're trying to talk about. I, I know I'm not an Olympian, so yeah, I guess I just have to sign off on that one and keep it real on the QE. <laughs> All right. Uh- <laughs> Any other news, Stace? No, that's it for this week, Danny. Uh, Looking forward to Mexico when it comes around. That'll be August 10th. But as for the World Tour news goes, that's it for the week. And a bit of a break now for the full-time members of the World Tour. Some of them have jumped into quarantine. Others have stayed on the road. And we'll see them all again in Mexico in about seven weeks' time. That's nice, isn't it? The surfers who, you know, they get to have a break after, you know, working 12 days a year that they do. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I'm only one kidding. Of those. I know. I one know of those pro, guys. I know pro surfing is hard. I, I know, but I'll tell you what else is hard, Stace. Working, lifting, um, lifting up a demo saw, and then getting on the jackhammer. <laughs> it wasn't going to be what I was going to say, but yeah, that's that's that also sounds hard. Thank you, Stace. Let's now chat to Brendan Buckley about the Moor and the Surf Ranch. WSL events, I have a certain amount of guilt if I can't ever watch an event. And when it comes to Lemoore, I just, I don't feel any guilt in missing that event. And we've been busy over here and I didn't get to catch, didn't get to catch a a single heat. So talk me through it. Talk me through your Lemoore adventure. Well, first, I think a lot of people are like you where they just don't watch at all. Like, I remember even in a group thread, I tried making a joke with some friends that are normally, like, would immediately get it. And we're just like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? (laughs) Because the whole thing was, which I think is a good summary for the event, is the kid looks like he surfs good, but I think Jeremy Flores pulled out last minute, and a kid named Jabe, Jabe, I think was his name, got in there. It's like a John John um, approach to naming there, or what is that? It wasn't Jabe Jabe. It should have been. But this, like, 15-year-old got in. It must have been one of the most obscure entries into a surf event, a CT, that I can remember. The only thing that comes close, I think, is Glendon Ringrose, which I don't know if that was just me because I thought he had a funny name. But Jabe got in there, and I was like, whoa, this is, this is really happening. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I don't think you were alone in your lack of attention given to the event. And really, it's just like a grindy three days. Like, it was so hot, and you're in the middle of nowhere, and there's really just nothing to do except look at this wave that you can't surf. Did, did you go for the novelty of it, or did you go as a diehard WSL surf fan? Whew, yeah. More the former than the latter, I'd say. It, uh, I went up with Jack, a young kid who we have working for us at STAB, and he wanted to make a really weird video. Um, we had like a horrible concept that we just really tried to pursue. Like, basically, there's this practice called perennium sunning, which is exposing your butthole to the sun, and it's supposed to be some sort of like energy center that will fuel you. You don't have to drink coffee, nothing like that, just 30 seconds in the sun. And we talked to this girl named metaphysical Megan who (laughs) went viral for talking about this practice on Instagram and we tracked her down to have her walk us through it and we had this idea about energy and how yeah Jack charged up in the sun there but it was basically we went out there to pursue this idea of energy kind of being created in your body through a butthole 
And so I wouldn't really say it was it was full WSL surf fandom that got <laughs> us there. Oh man. And and the obvious next question is does it work? I think so, a little bit. Like Jack, so Megan laid it out for us and it's like 30 seconds max. You don't want midday sun. You just want like 30 seconds in the evening or in the morning. Jack got his in the morning, and I, he looked pretty charged up after, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it seemed to work. The whole idea was about how, you know, the sun, all waves are created by the wind, and wind is created by imbalances in the atmosphere, largely due to the sun, and how the WSL needs to charge its butthole because it made a machine <laughs> to make waves, and really it was the sun all along. Like, that is what got us there. It was so <laughs> stupid. And so, yeah, that's kind of what took us for, took us on a 10 hour drive into, uh, into the middle of nowhere. That's a really tenuous thread, that conceptual thinking there that ended you up in the more. Hey, one thing I want to know is when you're at the pool, uh, you know that, like, you know that part of our brain and I feel like it's akin to sexual arousal. It's, we'll call it like surfing arousal. When you, when you see good surfing or, or you're around maybe in a van or there's all these things happening. And I wanted to know, when you were at the pool, was your surfing arousal activated by watching people surf the pool? So it's pretty weird because the, the rights go against you. Like where the viewing thing is set up, the right moves against you. You can only see the back of the wave. You see these fans getting thrown. And there's a big screen where you could watch it on, obviously, but like, you know, it's not the same as seeing somebody take off and and just line up with a section or get a big, big old barrel or something. It's like you see it going away from you and then the left is coming at you, but it, it starts from so far away. And so, I don't know, you still get excited. Like that end section is cool. You know, you get the barrel and then you see somebody, they're probably going to do an air or something like that, or, you know, they're going to try to finish strong. So that ends right in front of you on the left. But I think there might even be an element of it like you're almost jaded because they've already been surfing the wave for like 90 seconds. So it's, you don't have that excitement, that arousal of just like, whoa, like it's happening real quick. Like the thing that comes to my mind is I was on the beach in New York when Kelly did that crazy air with like no time left. And that was like the the peak of what you're talking about to me. And no, it doesn't compare to that in any way, but it is still cool watching them kind of like figure out that last section, you know, they know it's that barrel's going to come. And so they're trying to like place their turn right before it. It is interesting, but it's not that same level of, uh, of fascination or arousal, if you will. Yes. I can, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of, I suspected as much basically. And I'd love to also know what it feels like to be there. Cause I feel like most of the criticism of the WSL relates to their business model and the way they're trying to package and sell surfing and prioritizing that over, you know, the viewing experience of core fans. And, and then on top of that, the business model, business model by all reports doesn't seem to be working. And I feel like the surf ranch is like the pinnacle of, of, of that approach and, and, and what gets criticized there. Is it more enjoyable in person? And, and, and is, are, you, are you at all changed by having been there and watching it? So this was such a weird year because the it wasn't open to the public really like they had some vip stuff kind of along like the wave on this wall there and that was kind of it like i think if if it wasn't so hot that weekend and if it was open to the public it might actually be all right like especially if they i know in the past they've lined up some music and all that and so i think if like if it wasn't just like painfully hot and there was more people around because yeah this year it was just like there's like you know, 10 people trying to like slug it out in like the viewing section. And like I said, you can only see half the waves anyway. And it's just kind of like, people were just kind of like looking around, like, am I supposed to be here? Should I like stay all day? And so I can only really speak to that. And speaking of that, I can say, no, it does not add anything. You just wish that you're on your couch in air conditioning, watching it. Um, but I will say in a more normal year, they could, yeah, in a normal year, they might, it might be more fun. You know, you might be able to kick back, enjoy it, and think differently about it, but not this year. Yeah, but there might be a bit more atmosphere next time. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, I've got to read. You, your coverage of the event was hilarious, and, and I think this 
this stanza was was the highlight. Uh, I'm gonna re- I'm gonna read it to, you, and I feel like it sums up kind of everything we've been talking about. You wrote. The inappropriate thing to say here is that we should hope for the United States of America to coax a small but volatile nation into war so that they can fire a missile at Los Angeles, which would be redirected by state-of-the-art technology and explode at the surf ranch, while a herd of rich corporate people wearing Apple watches complement each other on barrels that have never and will never count. Sorry for butchering that uh, rendition of your, of your work there, but man, that was uh, hilarious. But did, I, I didn't even really consider that. Did, do they count? Like, are we, are we do, do barrels count in any way? Like, that is such a good point. No, <laughs> no, they absolutely don't count. And even like, I had a really interesting conversation with Albi Lair when we were doing the stab high in Costa Rica. And I mean, airs don't even really count as much too. Like you have to kind of bring it to the ocean, right? Like, cause wave pools are going to, you're going to see some crazy airs of like, you know, even that kid Cruz did that weird flip. Like I, the sense that I'm getting is that things aren't going to really count until you can replicate it in the ocean. And so you can't really replicate, like, I, I don't know, barrels are just such their own thing that, yeah, like, it counts even less than on air, I think, in the tub. That's coming from somebody who's never been barreled or really surfed in a wave pool. So maybe that's changing my perspective a bit. But anybody I've talked to or any, from what I get, it just seems like you can just kind of figure it out and do little things, maybe get deeper, try little different things. But it's like nothing compared to what we have to do in the ocean to find one of those things, you know? Yeah, for sure. But hey, you were pretty jazzed about the final. In so, despite all the, the criticisms of just a surf, uh, a surf ranch, ranch contest in general, you were pretty amped on, on the final? Yeah, well, I mean, I thought about it like this. Like imagine if the WSL just said, you're going to have Felipe Toledo and Gabriel Medina surf two lefts two rights each and i think that was the final format but like if if they just did only that i don't know a single person who wouldn't watch that you know but having that be the little cherry at the end of like so many hours and so many little setup turns like it's hard to maintain a level of excitement through all that but the final itself was great and i i stand by that like if it was only that then everybody would watch it and think that it was really cool. You know, I almost think it builds an argument for like culling the tour down a bit in general. Like you you could apply that same logic to almost any event, you know, if they can get those things out in a day, which I guess they're going to do with the the final at lowers. But I think it is that like same kind of classic argument of, of lessening the field there to make everything kind of matter more and make everything more exciting because it does seem like it just loses that over time you know you just can't maintain a high level through it all yeah did you have any did you have any quality pro surfer interactions during the trip any quality pro surfer interactions let me think um one thing i will say i didn't interact with them much but i'm just loving adriano's last lap on tour like just seeing him around, he was just kind of beaming, and it seemed like he was having so much more fun than everybody. I don't know if you saw, but you know, pretty much all the Brazilian surfers were surfing in his jersey at it, and he was like swapping jersey with Slater, and like it seemed like he enjoyed that event more than anybody. And I think if you look at what he's done in surfing and where he came from and everything, it's just like I, I don't know. I just never realized how just lovable he is, and just seeing him beaming like that there was was really cool for me. Hey, how do the locals feel about the event and the surf ranch? Huh, that's interesting. It's a really, we went out to dinner one night because I've been so curious because it's such like an exclusive place, you know? I'm always so curious about how like the everyday people of that town of Lemoore like think of it. Like, are they kind of angry at it? Do they think it's weird that they can't get in? And we talked to a few people at the restaurant and then at the Tachi Palace later that night. And there's definitely no resentment towards it. For some reason in my head, I thought there might be. That didn't seem to exist at all. It seemed to be something like, oh, it's pumping some money into town and keeping things interesting. But definitely this element of confusion. Like, I don't know what the fuck you guys do behind that (laughs) wooden shed wall with your little tractor. But, like, you're bringing some money and some excitement in the town. So, like, thanks for that. But like, yeah, this like almost disinterested confusion, just like hands off. I'm not going to try to get it because just like 
You guys are fucking weird. 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 Thank you, Buck, or Buck Face, as I like to call him, because I'm super funny, super cool guy. Next up, we have a chat with Dylan Graves and Kyla Langan about Queer Surf and the first episode, Breaking Waves. These sorts of topics are everywhere at the moment and they really fire some people up. And I understand why. There's a lot of fairly insufferable virtue signaling and just counterproductive behavior that surrounds the cult of wokeness, as it's sometimes called, and, and, and sort of just disrupts what are essentially good goals and objectives at the core. And it's this counterproductiveness that I think drives a little people mad, but I didn't find Dylan or Kyla to be down that rabbit hole at all. And I feel like this, this story and, and, and what Kyla in particular is talking about is, is actually super interesting. It's never something I've considered before when I paddle out in the surf. And it changed me, made me feel a little bit differently about things. And so it's pretty easy to paddle out and try and catch as many ways as possible and just see other people as nothing more than mere obstacles in this personal quest to catch the most waves. But, you know, conversations like this next one uh, might make you think slightly differently about it. Might They might not. But either way, let's hear what Dylan found out and discovered when he met Kyla from Queer Surf and what Kyla's got to say about being queer as a surfer and, and the community she's been able to build around that. There are literally dudes yelling at me, learn how to surf before you get in the water. <laughs> I'm like, wait. Which we haven't figured out how to can't do, do that. <laughs> like, I don't want to have to hide the queer part of myself just because I'm at the beach. Welcome to Breaking Waves, a series focusing on some of the more neglected topics in surfing. My name is Dylan Graves. Meeting new people and discovering unique surf communities around the world has been the highlight of my career. Over the years, it's no secret that our sport has its fair share of social dilemmas that seem to be extremely polarizing. And we wanted to get closer to some of them, at least from a surfer's point of view, to spark a healthy conversation on ways we can be better allies in the lineup. So I decided to reach out to Kyla Langan to better understand what her organization, Queer Surf, was all about and listen to what people had to say. What have you both been up to today? Social media. It's, and it's not my forte either. Right. Um, but we've had to figure it out. Oh, yeah. I, so, of course, like I watched the film a while back, but I also realized it just came out today. So is that what you mean when you say social media responding to, to the film's release? Yeah. Uh, exactly. And what's, and what's that entailed? Like what sort of conversations do you find yourself having? Um, mostly I've just been kind of reposting uh, people, other people who have been posting it and responding to folks who have been writing, uh, like DMing, just really sweet messages. There's been a really, really sweet response. Nice. What about you, Dylan? Yeah. Have, you, have you had the same experience? It seems like it's being received really well. I was going to ask you, Kyla, like, yeah, well, from your guys' side of things, you know, I know that first, like, post from, like, that Vans had, there was, like, some back and forth with stuff and you know that was like I guess like my first time really seeing like all the you know what can happen (laughs) all the homophobia yeah what was some of the worst what was some of the worst um things you saw from that initial bit of feedback because I think we would probably all have the assumption that it would show up in some way, shape or form because we, we know it's all it's out there. So like what were some of the things that, that people said that were negative around the initial trailer? That I saw was just kind of like, you know, it was like, you know, keep that shit out of surfing or surf, you know, like no one cares about anyone's sexuality, but like, yeah, it was, it was just really interesting. It seemed like these really knee jerk kind of comments, um, you know, and, and having all these talks with Kyla beforehand, she was like, you know, she kind of prepared me for, for all of it, you know? So like just in this small, you know, bit that I've been involved, it's like, I kind of get an insight, you know, that much more insight to like how that would make you feel as, you know, if you had to deal with that, like every day, which is kind of what we're talking about in the piece. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
yeah, there was a lot of, um, yeah, like what, what the hell does being gay have to do with surfing? Like, uh, whiny, whiny lesbians or something. Somebody said something like that. Oh, sounds like some whiny lesbians just shut up and go surfing. Uh, but also I think people had issue with, uh, with Connie's comment of learning how to surf before you get in the water. People are like, yeah, of course you should learn how to surf before you get in the water. It was like, (laughs) (laughs) isn't that, isn't that self-evident that that doesn't make any sense? (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's, it's like it's like when someone says shut your mouth when you're talking to me or some like weird saying like that you know it just it, it is actually it's it's the logic there is 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 really flawed that's um that's yeah. blown me away yeah definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah a couple good comments though of just like wow these comments are the perfect indicator of why this piece needs to be happening yeah totally and do you see when 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 people are saying keep this out of surfing or or they're they're not being like like directly directly homophobic or or derogatory against any kind of lgbtq issue do you see it as like thinly veiled um homophobia or or bigotry on some level? Like, do you, do you kind of interpret that as like pe- people are probably hiding behind these softer statements with, with you know, um, I don't know, hate? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of people just showing their ignorance, you know, people not, people saying, oh, it has nothing to do with surfing. It's like, hmm, okay, maybe watch the piece first. Yeah. And well, that's, maybe yeah. <laughs> talk to a gay person, talk to a queer person who's learning how to surf. Maybe listen from them before you go shouting. Yeah, for sure. And hey, I'd love to know, was for, for anyone who's not aware of it already and, and maybe hasn't seen the piece yet, can you, just, can you define what queer surf is? So queer surf is an uh, organization community-based organization that uh, gets queer people equipped with, you know, the gear, the knowledge, the, um, the, the information they need to know to safely enjoy the water. So we're basically a, yeah, community group that we have some lessons and meetups and uh, retreats, and we are just trying to, to, make a safer place for all sorts of gender expressions in the ocean. Yeah, for sure. And was there a defining moment that made you want to start Queer Surf? Not a defining moment, not like one aha moment, um, but it definitely happened when I left my kind of privileged coastal town of, um, in Southern California and moved to San Francisco and saw that, oh wow, not, not everybody has just easy access to the ocean. Not everybody has been, you know, had their father push them into waves and been encouraged, you know, with this sport their whole life. Um, and people have a lot of trauma with the ocean and a lot of, you know, a lot of hurdles um, with getting into wetsuits and putting themselves out there among such a male dominated scene. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I was like you, Dylan, or at least the the impression I got from you in the piece that you were pretty unaware of uh, what was happening um, from the queer point of view in regards to uh, being a surfer. What made you want to feature queer surf in in this video? I actually was talking with um, Salema after the uh, Salema Masakela after the um, paddle out for George Floyd in uh, Cardiff. And we just kind of got to chat chatting about stuff and it just hit me like all the, you know, the, the stuff that sort of was sort of very apparent, at least in the surf world, you know, definitely the world, but you know, with the surf world, it's like, damn, I wasn't really like, I have nothing against like, anyone's race sexuality nothing but i'm also not doing anything for or to like be an ally 
to these people to, you know, to just different groups. And it was like, this is bullshit. Like I, I want to do something. I want to help. Yeah. Actually I had seen, um, I don't, I never met Kyla, but, um, I came across her page on Instagram and just sent her a message and kind of had this idea, um, for this episode. It was just crazy how much we all learn like myself and, Dave and Alex Kilowano, um, the other camera op, like just one day of going down to the beach and hanging out with some friends and putting yourself out there. It was like, damn, like we just got straight up schooled in so many different things and in the best way possible and had a great day. Kyla, before you started queer surf, you were on the QS, you were a pro surfer. And that was a time when uh, homosexuality wasn't r- widely accepted. And I want love to know, was that, do you think that was simply a reflection of where society was at and the rest of the world or other subcultures at the time? Or was that something that was unique to surfing? Like is surfing particularly homophobic? Great question. Um, I think, yes, I do think homophobia is well it's not unique to surfing but i do feel that it's particularly um bad within surfing um i mean within the mainstream culture already that time was a very complicated challenging time to be gay um kind of coming out of the aids crisis and a lot of um just people having this idea that you know being gay means is you know equated with disease and dying and gay people weren't really thought to be able to live thriving lives um so that and then on top of it you know queer or surf culture is pretty dominated pretty much run by you know cis straight men and sex cells basically so um you know objectifying women sells product it sells an image and um, i do think that because it's at the beach and there is the the added element of you know bathing suits and bodies um, i do think it's amplified within surf culture especially you know looking to skate culture um there's way more diverse, open, free gender expressions within skate culture than there are in surfing. So I do think it's amplified within skate culture or within surfing culture. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. It's a really succinct description of, of how and why. And I, I was pretty surprised, like Dylan is in the piece, like pretty surprised at the amount of, uh, you know, discrimination that people have, suffered uh as queer surfers and you know, I, you know i personally just haven't seen it but of course i wouldn't so can you just give our audience uh, a, like everyone in the, everyone in the piece seems to or there's a lot of quotes in the piece that seem to of people that have experienced this type of thing so can you just give our audience a sense of how prevalent it is how often it happens and what percentage of surfers are like this and and, and also the type of things that are, are said right yeah Um, I mean, of course, it's totally varied, you know, spot to spot and person to person. Um, Speaking from myself, um, I, I feel like, I mean, I have the privilege to really know how to navigate the surf world. So I know how to kind of save myself from a lot of discrimination. Um, But in the earlier days, um, for me, it looked like you know, basically sponsors saying that you can't be out and you can't, you know, you can't maintain sponsorship and be out. Um, And it looked like just a lot of microaggressions, a lot of looks and kind of sly comments, um, you know, on the, the heat or on the board, the heat draw at a contest, like women being crossed out and lezzies being written. Um, Just little little things like that. Um, but at this point, you know, I'm, I'm out of the, the industry a little bit, or I'm a little bit more removed from the industry. I'm not putting myself right in the, the heart of it right now. Um, and I've learned, 
you know, at the beaches, how to, to navigate and stay safe. You know, it's definitely a, a skill that queer people have to learn is how to just, you know, stay safe and avoid certain situations and people. Um, but in terms of what we hear and what I do see, um, people, people get yelled at. And I know that's not unique to queer people, but um, it's, it's um, people get yelled at in the water, people, and it's not just in the water is, is another big piece. It's, it's in the parking lot, it's in the surf shop, it's, you know, it's, it's everywhere. It's not, not just in the water because so much of surfing isn't just surfing in, when you're actually in the water. Um, so yeah, I mean, just looking at the piece, I, I don't need to speak for the other people's experience. They, they talk about, you know, their experience of it and they tell us all the time, you know, I was just super intimidated. Um, a lot of it isn't, or it is also that people get comments and, and looks and, um, aggression towards them, but it's also just the intimidation factor. It's, it's. Yeah. Well, I think also from, you know, an outside per perspective and going to two queer surf meetups and let's just have a conversation about this stuff. Cause you know, I've, I felt like I didn't even know where, where I could begin with it. Cause I just was so out of my element with it. And I feel like a lot of people share that, um, which also kind of makes you hesitant to even talk to someone if you think their sexuality is different. So it's like, all right, let's screw all this. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, let's put all this shit aside and just talk. Cause like, who cares? Your sexuality is this, mine's this. We both surf. That's our common ground. How can we like not make this weird? You know? <laughs> <laughs> This doesn't have to be weird. <laughs> that's that's one of the bits in the piece that I really loved was when there's all this there's this hygiene around language that we're all learning now and and it's so funny watching you try and navigate that, Dylan. And when you talk about that in the piece, like because that kind of is going on for so many people on all levels, and just the fact that you were just honest about that and just like kind of fumbling through it, it's it's pretty funny. And 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 for totally. I don't know, like I mean, the best was when yeah when you. Uh, when you asked us what your pronouns were, that was probably my, my favorite part of the piece. <laughs> I think you, you have to be the one that decides that, Dylan. That was so dumb. Oh that my was God. epic. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure. The whole reason I said that was because I wasn't sure I was supposed to announce it. I tried to like say that in the piece. I don't know if that came across. And that's what's hard about doing these episodes is like, the way the experience is and what actually like gets condensed and like organized into, into the piece is like so very different. But um, yeah, I was, I was tripping on, on that. Just watching that. I would, I would cringe. I cringe watching the whole episode <laughs> actually. So I'm just like, <laughs> come on, bro. <laughs> Carla, from your point of view, is that, I mean, I know we're talking about serious, serious subject matter, but is, is that somewhat hilarious when you're watching people try and navigate language around? And obviously it's, it's a world that you're so much more well-versed in. Oh, this whole journey was so great um, because like in light of that, I mean, there were so many moments that, that you could tell it, Dylan was a little uncomfortable and not knowing the exact most PC thing to say, but just knowing the place that he's coming from, you know, you don't have to have the, the language down perfectly. I'm still learning like the most, you know, I'm still learning how to be the best, you know, ally to trans people that I can and the best ally to all, all the different groups of people. So as long as, I mean, he showed up with such good intentions and this vulnerability and this humility and, um, and yeah, we're all going to mess up along the way. I mean, not that you did Dylan, you, you did awesome, but, um, 
we're all we, we so, all sh- 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 moments for sure but like yeah <laughs> you guys were great it was just it was awesome you made me feel um you just helped me along and i yeah i mean that's what it's all about you know um yeah and still you like mean, yeah when- like obviously i'm not, i'm not an expert like even now um but it's but you're trying i'm i'm trying and i feel like that's i feel like that's what's powerful it's tricky to navigate but hey kayla also i'd love to know um so beyond just creating with yourself you've kind of got like other philosophical sort of goals in mind um you know things like just sharing waves in general and and just overall acceptance in the water and those things are great but surfing's pretty hyper competitive and selfish and and aggro uh, are you are you optimistic about surfing ever changing and and what sort of what sort of things do you imagine for surfing's future? Nice. Uh, I I am optimistic. I definitely have moments um, where I'm less optimistic because we have such a long way to go. But growing up, I was definitely like there was a couple other female surfers in the water ever, you know, and now there's a lot more and there's a lot more diversity in general in the water. Um, yeah, we have a long way to go, but I also have seen so much progress, um, just since surfing in you know, the last 30, 40 years, especially, I mean, think things like this, this is, this is huge for, for the industry, for surfing the, um, you know, their episodes like this have not, have not happened. Um, so hopefully thanks to Dylan, thanks to other, other, uh, allies out there who want to kind of bring this into the conversation and hopefully start, you know, making more inclusive wetsuits and more, more, uh, gender affirming surf gear, um, will slowly start to, to change the industry and make it a, a better place. Well done, Dylan. You're changing lives. Yeah, Dylan. Well done, Kyla. Well done, everybody in the piece. Dave, um, you know, obviously Dave was a huge part of this as he is everything. When we were talking earlier, I did kind of want to mention that I feel like um, in terms of like the microaggressions that people uh you know, experience. I think that a lot of people get hung up on that and like, well, what, you know, when have like specifics of like, tell me specifically when you've been gay bashed, you know, tell me what violence you've experienced. And I think it's important just to note that like, yes, that happens and it does happen. And you can hear it, people telling you their experiences of it happening, but also I mean, that's not the sole reason we've created Queer Surf, you know, it's, we also just want to create community of queer surfers. Um, So yeah, I just think people get kind of hung up with like the specifics of like, well, this is only valid if you've really been, if you've really experienced violence because of it. That in, in a lot of the comments, people are like, they're really wanting to hear like, well, what exactly? And that's, you know, it's, it's like, well, that's, kind of irrelevant like the you know the yeah like I feel like the fact that if you're not relating with with people in the in the lineup it's like hell yeah well start like you started this space where you can do that and that's great yeah and the other comments that are happening a lot of you know the ocean doesn't know if you're gay or straight it's like it's true the ocean doesn't know but so much of the hurdles are being before we even get in the water, you know, it's going to the surf shop to shop for a wetsuit and people, you know, do I like wetsuits are so binary and not everybody fits into the binary. It's like, do I get a women's wetsuit? Do I get a men's wetsuit? This is awkward. I'm in the surf shop with these bros that are making me feel really uncomfortable. They think I'm weird. They, you know, don't know how to relate to me. And then that experience through, you know, even up until the water in the parking lot changing, you know, all, all of it. I think if there's people out there that haven't noticed how grossly conservative surfing is, then they might, I don't know, I don't know how you would ever 
not realize that because it's just it's so uh, and not every pocket of surfing there's definitely uh, a lot of pretty open-minded little zones but as a sport and as a culture there's there's nothing about the the hollywood stereotype of peace love and and being a spiritual you know all that 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 stereotype of surfing like barely exists like surfing is so conservative and uptight and and yeah i think anyone if anyone hasn't noticed that or, or doesn't see that it's it's um i don't know i just don't know how i don't know how to make excuses for them but um yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> so true uh, well how can we make it less <laughs> on, on the journey to make it less conservative surfing is a counterculture it's like the you know it was founded on rejects of other sports and so at what stage did we like you know start being like oh yeah hold on we're this and we're not gonna let anybody come because if that's the attitude like surfing wouldn't exist have existed in the first place you know i feel like so um obviously like i guess that's kind of speaking to modern day surfing i don't know what the hawaiians were like and polynesians when they were inventing surfing i guess it was the sport of kings originally but somewhere along the line it became the reject sport somewhere along the line it reject sport somewhere along the line it reject sport thank you to dylan and kyla and thanks to everyone for listening please rate review and subscribe uh, uh, all those things that people say at the end of podcasts that are somewhat redundant because you're either going to do that or you're not and you know how to operate the subscribe button but thank you for listening i mean i am a bro every time i go to the water not like i am self-identify as a bro but like when i go to the water i put on a wet some people see me and they're like bro bro bro, bro. you know what i mean i get burned i get like bullied by 50 year old men on a quad like it's nice to be with a bunch of people that like understand that you can be a woman and look like i do